Wagwan, everybody. Welcome to the Disaffamy History Podcast, where we'll be speaking about history and as well family history and how history relates in terms of Caribbean people um, for the present as well as in the past and how in the past what that does and brings forth for what we are going through at present and what we can learn from our history, from our family, and take that moving forward. So I do hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you like it, please ensure to subscribe, like, and review. Thank you. In this episode, I will be speaking with Professor Kwasi Kavadini from Colgate University, where he is the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Endowed Chair. And the topic will be names of enslaved Africans and the importance and the relevance of these names. So let's have a listen. Thank you so much, Quasi, for coming on to the podcast today and uh, spending your time to talk about um, African names and how that was uh, during the time of uh, enslavement. Thank you for having me. Perfect. So we'll start um, with the first question, knowing that names are such an important um, and it connects to identity whether culturally or spiritually, with uh, and then with the enslaved Africans. And I know that you mentioned it wasn't necessarily erased, but kind of um, removed in terms of their original names being stripped for them. Could you speak on t- to just some of those important uh, aspects of names? Sure. Well, names are not only important uh, because they register a person as a member of a human community, but there are also these um, cosmic tattoos that essentially marks out an individual um, within a constellation of other individuals. In the case of African peoples especially, but not solely, it also registered them as being um, part of this constellation of ancestry. So think of ancestry as this large mass of just energy, right? Um, large mass of energy populated by people who have gone and come from this human experience and from this earth. And so it registers you being a member of this mass, right? So at once it makes you an individual, also makes you part of a collective. So you're both individuated, a person both individuated and also communal at the same time. Only because, or primarily because, logically speaking, human beings are not asexual organisms, right? We cannot beget ourselves. We have to come through someone else or someone else's in the case of a sperm and an egg. And of course, you know, all that is packaged into that um, DNA that at least forms the physiological portions of our, of our body and our being. And so names actually captures all that, but the names do more, especially among certain communities or certain African societies where names actually have more depth and more connection to ecology. So for example, people are named based on the seasons or the natural cycles or the farming calendar or the circumstances of life, whether that may be drought or famine or um, a great harvest. Um, You also have names that are meant to be ridiculing, to say that a child came but did not stay with the family minute. It left too early in their mind, during um, infancy or during early adolescence. And so they'll give that child a name, um, whether that be a by name, a praise name or a nickname to indicate that this child, um, you know, should not come back as that child, right? So in other words, if a child is ridiculed and, 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 and they're called um, the one who brings, um, you know, um, bad luck and destruction, um, then it means that the next cycle around, next go around for the energy that is that child 
they should not come as that, right? And so these names are really um, crucial beyond simply just marking out you or I as an individual because they, they do carry um, a package of not only ancestral um, information and data points, but it also conveys to them um, something peculiar and particular about that person as a member of this wide cultural, ecological, spiritual ecosystem. No, definitely. And it goes to, I guess, and especially within the Caribbean community where people have what are called pet names, right? So they have other names that they are being called as well. So um, at the start of the slave trade, the Portuguese started the enslavement and they had a different practice in terms when they would rename a lot of the enslaved Africans and um, you know this mostly went to the Spanish Caribbean can you just speak a little bit on that one sure and so the Portuguese um, ha have the dubious distinction of being um, so-called the first um, though they were not um, because first implies the um, you know, being the igniter or or the or the initial set, but enslavement is is a is an ongoing human project, right? Um, the enslavement in ancient China that predates the Portuguese. In fact, it's something called Portugal. So, the idea is that the, the Portuguese were in fact the um, plow that laid the path for other European seaborne empires in terms of connections to West Africa and then Greater Africa in terms of the transport of captive African peoples that were launched into the Americas, into Europe, into the Mediterranean region, and of course, other parts of the world. So Portuguese, they fit within that circuit, right? So they're not really the, the, you know, the first per se, but they fit within a circuit. In fact, just as a quick note to your audience, is that um, Arab Muslim merchants in North Africa and Northeast Africa were trafficking African peoples long before there was a Portugal. In fact, what became Portugal was like this this, this, this barren and sometimes almost um, irreverent uh, outpost of, of the Roman Empire, right? Um, referred to as uh, Lusitania, uh, the sort of Latin or vulgar Latin outpost. It was really nothing to, you know, of, of any real uh, remark. So it was unremarkable, and it remained that way. Portugal was, was this desolate, poor, and impoverished, and small country uh, on the southwestern portion of the Iberian Peninsula. Castile later became Spain, was really you know the the the, the power in, in that region. So the Spaniards and these Arabs and merchants of Africa were trafficking Africans in Mediterranean, what is now Morocco, Libya, Tunisia, long before there was a Portugal. Just to put that into perspective, okay. Portuguese. What their claim is that they become the first seaborne European empire, right? Maritime empire that's able to use the sea to traffic, right? Traffic in captive bodies. So from that perspective, the Portuguese, therefore, they initiate, but also they innovate certain sorts of best practices that were followed by other European um, empire seekers, whether they be um, Spain, formerly Castile, whether they be the, the Dutch from Netherlands or they be the British, England, um, or they be the Swedish or the um, Brandenburgers, which later became Germany. So all these will be empires follow the model set by the Portuguese. And the model was basically this in terms of naming, um, with some distinctions, of course. But it's because the Portuguese were and, and the Spanish were Catholic, their naming practices, you know, were shaped around Catholic dogma, which is a variant of Christian theology, Christian dogma, in a way that um, 
Portuguese saw themselves as defenders of the faith, meaning Catholic faith. Um, and therefore, it was their duty not only to, to, to capture, but also to convert or baptize um, non-European, non-Iberian peoples in West Africa, African peoples, um, by raiding, by, by, by force, um, by negotiation, and sometimes by, by simply just trafficking, right? Yeah. And that began largely with, for example, North African, um, you know, Arab Muslim, other traffickers in captive African bodies. So there's an outpost in Northwest Africa around between Morocco and Mediterranean um, uh, called Arjum. And that became sort of like this, 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 this depot where horses were being traded for captive Africans. And horses, of course, were required by these Savannah uh, societies in West Africa and so in North Africa, too. Um, beyond the desert. And so horses were one of the main commodities. And later on, it included foodstuff, included guns and firearms and so on. Um, and so in that context, the namings became uh, a function of the duty of these defenders of the faith, as it were, to essentially expand Christendom, right? Yeah. By force, by fraud, or any means. Um, and so once captured, naming didn't start there. There was sort of like this this, this very um, fake or, or fox baptism where salt and, and water would be sprinkled on captive peoples. Now, in the 15th century, the numbers were small, meaning these are not large vessels yet. These are what are yeah. called caravels, right? And they hold maybe about 100 people, sometimes maybe 150. Uh, we didn't get to the Dutch and later vessels that hold three, four, five, six hundred captive people, right, across the Atlantic. And so... The timing again, context matters, right? Mm -hmm. And so, in these, in this context, those people would then be brought to either the Argave or brought to the capital of Lisbon or Lisboa, the capital of Portugal, um, and they were either sold in the slave markets in in the in, on the Tagus River in, in Lisbon, um, or sometimes they were repurposed or repackaged and sold in Castile or sold in Spain. Um, in other the major cities like Cordoza, um, Seville. Um, and other parts. Um, and some of these captives, once sold, then there would be the registration, right? That's when you get the notary. Yeah. And then, then, then at that point, you would have the names that are assigned, right? At, at that moment. And the names would usually follow the, the, the name of the captive. Now, the Catholic factor here matters in because here in Spanish and Portuguese name, you have what? You can have several names, right? For example, yes. The Santos, meaning of Santos, right? Meaning your property of, you belong to, right? The family of, of Santos. And so, um, you know, one would be, say, Maria dos Santos, right? Um, or, or, or Pedro dos Santos, right? And so, or, for example, you have in the 15th century and 16th century, you have names based on complexion. You have Pedro um, Negro, right? Yes. Pedro Black. Or, or, or Maria Moreno. Right, Marin is like a variant of, of black. You can imagine that, or you may, or you may, you may have um, um, Maria Preto, which is like a black black, so like the you know shirt that I'm wearing. Uh, it's like the black is a black. Okay. So, right. So, the, so the Portuguese and the Spaniards, under this Catholic, you know, mantra uh, and dogma, they saw it at themselves to not only capture and 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 and, and exchange and and, and sale but also to convert and baptize and bring into Christendom. Um, and so the names followed that pattern, whereas later on in the Dutch and British, they weren't really concerned about that per se. They were concerned about laboring and, and the like. And even when Christianity, Protestant Christianity, right, and the British and Dutch experience came into play, 
those names followed a different pattern, right? Yes. The fact of religion here fact figures in a lot into the naming practices of these European empires and slavers. You know, definitely it did, and um, definitely made an impression, to say the least. Um, and so, with you know these enslaved Africans being stripped of their original name and the attempt to kind of have a "you are a nothing" mentality, would this have you know brought into more of their in their control to further control them? Them being the slavers? And them being the enslaved. Okay. Um, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Um, now, I, I'll come to the heart of your question, but it's mm -hmm. hard to tell, just to, just to give your, your viewers and listeners uh, some appreciation. It's hard to tell what really goes on in the inner corridors of a, of a person's mind and inner being. Um, it's like being in court, where it's hard to really measure and, and therefore convict intention, right? Mm -hmm. Now, there are ways to try to get close to it, but it, it's not a it's not an approximation. Likewise, it's hard to really say what truly went on in the in the in the inner corridors and being of the enslaved. It's really hard. The documents can't even scratch the surface of that, right? Yeah. Now, that being said, as a caveat, what we do know is that uh, for the enslaved, there was often lip service paid to Catholic dogma, meaning the naming practices. Um and so, for example, on the on Africa's West Africa's Gold Coast, present day Ghana, um, you would have um, people that were women, men, men that were brought to the Portuguese Inquisition to stand trial for crimes against the Catholic faith, and um, they may be registered under a what Portuguese or Iberian name, okay. but in the testimony and the witnesses, would you find that these people would actually be known by other names, other indigenous African names, right? Yeah. And we see some of this, for example, in one document. Uh, that comes to mind, 1572, is a woman registered, you know, under under the Catholic framing um, of her personhood as Maria, but the priest who registered this and, and the people who, of his kind, who essentially uh, would remind the person by calling them that name, noted in frustration and anger that this Maria was also known as Adjura, which means she was a Monday-born female on the Akan calendar, which opens up a whole story about who she was in terms of her personhood, right? in the villages. And so when she went to the villages that was adjacent to the Portuguese fortress or stronghold on the Gold Coast, or then called the Mina Coast, then, you know, under that, you know, in, in that arena of terror, right, um, mm -hmm. you know, populated by almost all men uh, with weaponry, with, with, with tortures, with, with instruments of torture and, 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 um, and violence, under this regime of violence, she would answer to Maria. But the priest gives us insight into her personhood and into her inner being. And again, the documents gives us some latitude to say that when she was in the villages, they're known by other names, which means they're called other names, which means they're using other languages, non-Portuguese yeah. languages, which means people have their own self-understanding, even if they're known by another name. And this is true, as you mentioned, about nicknames, for example. Mm -hmm. Today, people of African ancestry, you know, here in New York City or you're there in Canada, um, you find persons who are large in size and stature and their nickname is Tiny. Yes. So that's third, right? But it makes sense. It's, it's sort of like a, um, a cosmic joke, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And so there are different kinds of naming. So on the streets, he's called Tiny, but to his mother, he's James Robinson. Exactly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> or he could be, he could be Kwesi Kunadus, right? And so names again they can they can they can they can be a trap because 
you know, in the records, when we see them, we say, aha, that person is, is Betsy or, or it's, it's Jupiter, right? Yes. And that's how they're registered. But we can't give the slavers and the regime, uh, the bureaucratic regime of violence, authority over the personhood of that person without knowing something about their personhood. Because in the so-called slave quarters, that person will be known by something else. Yes. Right? And so that's what I mean by how we read the documents and how we read personhood and identity and therefore names is definitely crucial to understanding something about how, you know, names continued, how they were, how they morphed, if any, and how they were used on different layers in terms of how people could negotiate, you know, their lives in these, you know, colonial societies uh, that were based on the instrument of pure terror. Very true, very true. So we're going to now just go through some of the um, namings on some of the documents here and starting first and foremostly on the baptism where an enslaved person would now go from their no name, which is was usually just one name, to now having a proper, what's called a proper name. Um, so on the screen that I have here is just form in Jamaica, so St. Anne in Orchard, Orange Park. And uh, we'll just go through some of the list as to what their African name was known as and then their baptized name and what possibly could have been, I guess, a reasoning or a meaning behind that. Comes out is, is the first and last name, right? Mm -hmm. And here the last name or the surname registers one as a property. Um, in Jamaica, as in places like Virginia, uh, here in the United States, um, the colonial law was pretty much, at least English-speaking colonial law, which is based on old Roman law, um, which is the base of English common law, were uh, pretty much the same. And so if we talk about Jamaica, we can talk about Virginia um, as, as British colonial societies or English-speaking colonial societies. And so the last of certainly registered one, and this here is, is, is a you know um, part of the template provided by the Portuguese, because here is the same function of the Santos. It registered one a property of, right? Yes. And some of these names were based on guilds like Wright or, or, or Blacksmith or and, and so on. And so um, these names meant that this, a person, you know, uh, would be named, um, let's say, um, you know, um, Bennett, you know, or 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 um, Porter or another name or Wright, as you see down below. Yes. Uh, in the document of Williams, right? It means that they are the property of Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And so the last name, though it conferred a second name, it didn't, in fact, emancipate the enslaved. In fact, it is, to me, it re-enslaved them because it made them um, a property of the of their owner. And so as long as a person wears, you know, that name and, and responds to it and uses it, um, they are re-inscribing or reaffirming the fact that they are the property of, right? Yes. That's the first observation. But then the, the other observation here um, are the the names, for example, at the very top. You see there uh, a a coffee, yes, right? mm -hmm. which is which 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 in phonetic English is spelled C U in most cases spelled C U double F double E C U F E E, and and that that coffee uh, refers to the um, Akan um, name coffee, um, yeah, uh, but also coffee. It means the same thing. Okay. Um, I can explain later why the ko and the ka and kwa may be switched up, but it has the same meaning. Okay. Uh, so kofi was a name for a male child born on Friday, right? As in the, you know, 
past Secretary General of the United Nations, Kofi Annan. Um, and his name, by the way, means Kofi the fourth, meaning he was a fourth born child. Okay. He was fourth. So again, name gives you birth order, right? Mm. Which means he has siblings. Okay. <laughs> which, mean, which means if he's the fourth, it means that he has, it may be a fifth. And so yeah. again, name is a package that opens up, you know, its own history uh, on itself. And so you, you see that there. And there are other names there, um, but the Kofi again stands out as one that registers one as being from a particular group of people that can be traced to a particular genealogy in a particular, uh, again, place and also intellectual history that goes with that individual just by the name alone, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So um, in this um, quote unquote slave register, um, and I'm sure definitely scholars will know this and graduate students will know, know what this is about. Uh, for those that are unaware, um, you know, these are, again, this is from Jamaica, correct? Yes, that's right. And so these were submitted as part of inventory for taxation purposes, right? Because the enslaved were counted among property uh, as chattel. And so um, this was not simply for ethnographic reasons. <laughs> it was not <laughs> taxation purposes and, and, and bureaucracy. But it also provided an inventory um, uh, for the enslaved. Now, for those who are reading into trying to read out, uh, you know, some some of the stories of the people that are etched um, in these uh, registers, um, some of the fascinating parts here are not the names alone, but um, um, the the categories here for color, yes, complexion for age, and there's an interesting category for African or Creole, which we can talk about because that's part yeah. of the name process. And then there are all these remarks about the person that are being, um, you know, essentially codified in these documents. And then you have uh, essentially, um, you know, if there's any increase or, or, or cause um, thereof um, for the individuals, meaning, for example, if there's a birth, there's a birth that's registered, meaning increase, right? There's that's right. Obviously, there's a decrease. And then finally, there's a decrease there again, and, and the cause uh, of it. So, for the genealogists, those who are curious, and for definitely for people who are history buff, this is these are our um, limited but very important sources for digging into um, family, but also broadly speaking, um, African diasporic histories uh, in, in the Americas, Jamaica, no less. Now, your names here, um, and these are male names um, that are there, and they're, they're singular names, right? Except That's right. And so, for example, you have a, um, a James, right? You have a uh, Richford, um, and but you also have a Tom Taylor, right? Mm -hmm. um, and those are usually people who are uh, are usually people that are the offspring of of African and um, white or European um, African women, and white European males, or African black women and, and European males, but not always but usually the case. And so they'll have a, a surname. And then you see there, there are Creoles, uh, which is not a cultural designation. That's more so a location designation, meaning they're, they're, they're born on the island. Yeah. Uh, and now in the scholar literature, for those who are interested, there's a lot of discussion about Creole, uh, which, which has its own uh, set of issues, but I want to make clear mm -hmm. the listing and viewing that. Uh, it's more of a location um, or nationality yes. <laughs> um, category than it is a cultural or ethnographic descriptor. 
But then you, uh, then if you move further down, you you pass maybe about I count here about 12, 11, 12 Creole. Then you have these uh, African notation, right? Meaning they were born, yes. uh, they were born somewhere on the African continents. And the, these people too are named uh, with their aliases. A few have aliases um, that that are there. And for the most part here, um, these particular names, they um, are English names. Um, I'm looking further to see if there's any. I think now, yeah. with some of these further alias names, would that you know give an indication that they were then baptized? They went from their singular name to now a formal name, so to speak. Well, the aliases, um, and this is, I'm glad you asked the question. I was going to get to it. Um, these aliases, whether it's Ellison or here, it is um, John Palmer mm -hmm. um, or Stuart Dixon, <laughs> yeah, um, or Henry. I think is Dorman. Uh, yeah, something yeah. Yeah. These aliases were created um cleverly by the enslaved, meaning they, 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 they would they would pick other English speaking names um to uh evade surveillance and detection. Okay. In other words, if a person is looking for is looking for uh let's say um Thansby or, or, or Thornby, uh and the alias was Bob Dixon, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um it will be confusing. If 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 the if the if the um, if the seeker uh, only knows the person by one name, right? And so yeah. these are clever ways which the enslaved would actually try to perplex um, the regime of slavery by essentially creating aliases, right? And sometimes okay. a person would have three or four aliases. I've seen documents with that. They're also okay um, in the runaway slave advertisements, right? Whether it's Jamaica Gleaner, Gazette, my apologies, not the Gleaner, it's more contemporary. Mm. But the Gazette, or Kingston Gazette, they'll have these runaway slave advertisement that would indicate that the person also known as this and this and this. Okay. The aliases were meant to evade capture, meant to evade or or, or inhibit um, precise location, right? And so by registering it on the slave register, it was essentially meant to alert the authorities that hey, this person also known as this, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, which was very clever on the part of the enslaved, meaning. They were using. They would use the um, interpolated or the imposed names upon them in in ways that would try to essentially um, um, evade surveillance and detection <laughs> by using the names that were thrown upon them against the against the slaveholders. Very interesting times when I uh, see these records and go through all these documents. It's just um, quite interesting. And uh, we'll go to the last one here, which is the table of the different names based on, as you mentioned before earlier in the discussion, days of the week, both male and female. Indeed. And, and these are stubbornly uh, Akan names. Now, they're not day names, they're, though, though, they're, though they are part of or registered the day in which a person is born, mm -hmm. um, time is also considered. So, for example, okay. my, my name is um, Kwesi. Mm -hmm. uh, meaning I'm a, a male child born on Sunday, as you see um, there on the top um, row. But I was born in the evening. And so there's a, there's a, there's a different temperament and different gauging of the kind of quasi that I am, opposed to a quasi born in the morning. So okay. the timing of the day matters. More importantly, these are referred to as um, krading, meaning soul names. Because the idea is that my soul as Kwesi, um, uh, and if, if for you, what day were you born on? Tuesday. Okay. So you would be uh, Abena. Mm -hmm. And so it means my soul came to this earth for human experience on a Sunday. 
Yosos came to Earth for human experience on a Tuesday. That is packaging the names. So they're not day names. They're actually soul names called Kradeng, okay. meaning soul, and Ding, meaning name, right? Mm -hmm. um, so these Kradeng, they register one as, as essentially your soul coming to the Earth, coming from where one might imagine, coming from the, from the, the other world uh, of spiritual forces and figures um, because we as human beings are simply spiritual beings packaging a human, you know, frame, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, as such, the soul name is one that stays with the person uh, even after they meet their human demise. In libation or other rituals of remembrances, they are, excuse me, they are still remembered as Kwesi Kunandu or as Abena, I'll make a name up, Abena. Okay. Right? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, Ab or Ab better name, better name, Abena Sapong. Um, you know, they're registered at that. So when they call your name and they remember you, the name still stays, right? In other words, mm -hmm. the name has an afterlife, right? Yes. It was yeah. all in memory and, and is invoked and, and invited through ritual libation, other kinds of rituals of remembrances. And that's very important here. That's why they're not day names, right? In other words, mm -hmm. the day changes, the name still stays. You know, when a person passes on, the name still stays. Yes. Um, and so these are really indexes um, for personhood connected to a broad ancestry and a broad field um, of ecology, of culture, of ethnographic data packaged into these small kernels. Now I can tell you much yeah. more about each one. Okay, yeah. Expand the package. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Pick a name then. Um, how about, again, because it was mentioned on the slave record, Kofi. Uh, okay, Kofi. Mm -hmm. So Kofi, as you see there, as you yeah. hear there, uh, is a um, Friday born. And the complement there would be a Fia, or sometimes a Four, depending upon your location in what is now Ghana, West Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, those in the coast would use uh, a Four. Um, uh, sometimes um, the, um, they may use uh, Amba. Uh, those in the further north may, may use a four, and those in the forest central area use a fia. Oh, okay, um, okay. Yes, yeah, the location matters. So, for example, my proper name is, 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 is if you're deep in the forest, is Akwesi, is a, is an A in front of the K, okay. right? Akwesi. Um, and, but, you know, in, 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 in other areas, it just be Kwesi, and on the coast, it's Kwesi spelled with an E rather than an A. So it's K-W-E-S-I. Okay. And so there, there's slight phonetic you know, nuances depending on location, right? Mm -hmm. um, again, the name will specify that. So if you see um, Kofi, let's say, um, um, you know, um, or let's say, I'll, I'll use another one. Let's say you see um, Kojo, mm -hmm. K-O-J-O, that's yeah. for the coast. Normally the person's from the coastal area. But if you see um, um, Kwajo, which is mm -hmm. K-W-A-D-W-O, Kwajo, if you see Kwajo, he's in the forest, right? He's in the forest interior. So okay. the sounds and the spellings of the names also, again, refer kind of boomerang back to a particular, not precise, but general, you know, ecology and location, and therefore groups of people, cultural groups of people in those areas. Again, these names are kernels that have these matrices, you know, that have lots mm -hmm. of um, data packaged into them. So we example with Kofi, he's born on Friday, but on the account calendar of 42 days, there are six Fridays. Okay. The question is which Friday, right? Yeah. If I knew that his, if I knew, or make a birthday up, right? Let's say a person born on September 5th, um, 
let's say 1825, right? Mm -hmm. Or in this case, yeah, 1825, then um, that will give us also uh, some precise data about which Friday he was born on, what taboos um, does he have as a Friday born person, both male and female, what greetings between me as Kofi and you, Ethia, another Friday born person, yeah. uh, what animals we should never harm, what animals we should protect, you can see where I'm going. There's a yes. lot yeah. of data packaged into the name that I can tell you about just based on the name alone. Yeah, because these names do appear a number of times. Like when you're looking at these records, especially Kofi, especially Kujo, you see these all the time and they have to mean something. And going through what you're saying in terms of what the analogy of all of these names and all of the um, intricacies that are a part of it then gives a much more broader perspective. And for someone looking at these records and trying to understand and researching, you know, this definitely helps. It does. But I would say this is a caveat that, mm -hmm. important, important note, not a caveat, that um, behind the names is also a language, right? Yes. Uh, and so to interpret these names, um, there are two important prerequisites is both um, cultural background, that is the cultural background of these individuals because they carry it in their names mm -hmm. um, to be able to interpret them and think get the most out of them. Yep. And then of course the language in which they're coded, right? So both language and names um, are, are, are crucial to understanding who these people are. No, definitely. And so with the language, I know you mentioned about the language, but uh, would that then be, I guess, um, what is spoken and again, using this to find out, I guess, the background of the individual as well, because that's another challenge that is seen for most to be able to get to that first African ancestor um, mm -hmm. at most times. So let's say they do find where that person is, is from, and let's say it is from the region of Ghana. Mm -hmm. What then, how would they then be able to f determine which language is that really from? Well, this is clear because the language yeah. is the country. Okay. Yeah. So, and again, Perfect. names, again, they, 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 they reference a particular um, African language in which they're, in other words, yeah. the coding, right? So they coded a particular African language. And, and that's stubbornly, absolutely clear um, from even okay. with, the, even with the English phonetic rendering, because remember, mm -hmm. the enslaved were not recording their own names. That's right. So it's based on the ear, right, of whatever notary or bureaucrat. Yeah recorded these names well it's definitely another layer to kind of look at all these things and uh to be able to really because i know for myself looking at these records and trying to understand and put a context to things it definitely does make it a, a challenge to kind of figure out well what does this mean because it has to mean something mm -hmm. um you know especially growing up uh Jamaican, uh, you definitely notice that a lot of things mean different things, depending on what the context is, right? So it's just trying to understand that. So I wanted to thank you for that. But as well, just something else for people that are researching during this time, what else do they need to take into consideration, especially when looking at names? Well, the two prerequisites that I mentioned, um, it, it's, it's, we need not have fear to learn an African language. I don't mean necessarily fluency, yeah. but at least um, to to break the conceptual barrier that these languages are impossible to learn, which they're not. You know, if, yeah. if you, we can learn Spanish, we can, we can learn African language. Yes. All languages have rules called mm -hmm. grammar um, that determines which goes where and why. 
in terms of in terms of word formation and placement. And all languages, of course, have um, sounds, phonetic value, right? So sounds and rules, you know, and and you work your way through. The language is really the gateway, right? Yes. Uh, and I don't mean just pronunciation. I mean, you know, the the names, you know, are encoded in a language, and that language will open up. So, for example, the data I share with you, yeah. About greetings and taboos um, and um, the um, kinds of ritual obligations for Friday-born, in the case of Kofi, or for you, Tuesday-born individuals, where to go, what river, what stream, what yeah. to do, uh, which animals not to arm, which animals you can, you know, consume, um, what to do on a day of birth every 42 days, right? Wearing white, um, abstaining from intercourse and meats and, and, and other favorite foods, meditating. Mm -hmm. All things are really baked into the language, right? Yeah. And so um, for the researcher, particularly of African diasporic history, there's been sort of a phobia and even taboo to um, learn an African language. But <laughs> people in the Caribbean, you know, um, because the starting point is usually, um, you know, whatever... Um, you know, blockage set up by, you know, white terrorism and violence, that somehow the African language is impossible, you know, um, you know, acquisition on their tongue, they already have it. So exactly. For example, so in Jamaica, there's a place in the records office called Chitnam Park, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the, the ch ch is the name of the language, the Khan ch It's already there. <laughs> yeah. Right? So in all the words that we have in, in Jamaican nation language, right? Janko, mm -hmm. Sue, and, and so on. Right, these are tree words, right? Doti, right? They're referring to the, the earth or, or the ground, right? So I'm saying the sounds are there, right? The yes. ground are there. For example, in, in, in Jamaica, they say, take yourself and bring yourself, right? In tree, uh, uh, and so um, you have to first take yourself somewhere to go somewhere. In other words, in other yes. words, body won't leave myself to go to the store. I have to take myself to the store, right? Exactly. So, and so the way that we think, we meaning in the African diaspora, mm -hmm. think, is already programmed, you know, in some part of our cellular memory, in our, in our DNA. Yeah. But the inhibitor is, is the idea that, you know, somehow African language is beyond um, apprehension. And it isn't, because it's actually baked into the languages we speak already. So whether it's so-called Black English or Ebonics, or it's Jamaican Nation language or Haitian Creole, the grammar is baked in there, right? Just look at, yeah. just look at how we structure words and sentences and how those words dance in a certain rhythm. So I'm just saying we have much more building blocks there than people want to imagine or think or believe. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I definitely had my lessons given to my mother about the breakdown of Patois. So yes, yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely there already. And we just have to be able to recognize it and see it for what it is and embrace it. So for that, I just want to thank you so much, Kwasi, for coming on to the podcast and speaking on this because I really do appreciate it and your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, and write a review for the episode wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you.